So today we have a special RevOps review episode. We're joined by Gaetano Denardi and Morgan Ingram, uh, both hosts and advisors to Cognizant. So uh, appreciate having the both of you on. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. So for those who don't know, Gaetano and Morgan, I'll give a little intro and then we can jump right into it. Today we're going to talk about aligning both sales and marketing, just driving strong revenue alignment across the board. So uh, Gaetano Denardi is a growth advisor for Cognizant and many other top B2B companies. I've also heard his name thrown quite a bit around with other podcasts as well. So first time meeting and happy to meet you. Uh, Morgan J. Ingram runs AMP, a B2B production company. He's also a former sales trainer for companies like Salesforce, Zoom, Snowflake. You may have heard of these companies. So appreciate having you on, Morgan. Yeah, happy to be here. Cool. So I was going to test a couple of uh, things with you. So I always think that, you know, sales and marketing can always be a little bit of a Hatfield and McCoy type of feud in some companies, especially when it's dysfunctional. But at its best, I think they could be a strong humming, working together engine. And I think a part of it is driving together around planning. It's planning season, it's October, you know, thinking through how companies can sit down, set targets, use a combination of maybe a top down, bottoms up motion to really align both sales and marketing. Just want to kind of run that through to you and see what you guys think about that annual planning process. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the annual, from, from what I know uh, and being in orgs and also when I did a lot of trainings, this right now, as we talk what uh, right here in October, this is when you should be planning for, <laughs> for the next year. Uh, if you're not, that's not a good sign, right? And I think when it comes to annual planning to make it super simple, right? You want to think about what is the goal we're trying to hit at the end of the next year. Based on that, then we look at what are like the, two to three main things we need to pull as levers to hit that. And then what are the habits that we need to create in order to hit those main three things? Right. And I get the main three things. I actually got this from Bob Iger, uh, who, who is currently actually now running Disney, but in the past he helped with the acquisition of Marvel and, you know, Lucas films, et cetera. And that's, that's how we focused every single year. He was like, our annual parting was super simple, right? We looked at three things that we would pull as levers and then we had an end goal and we figured out our habits, our culture, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's how everyone should think about their annual planning. And the people that I speak to that are executives that do the best, they do it in this lane, right? You don't want to overcomplicate it. You want to keep it super simple and you want to know what the focus is moving forward. Otherwise you're going to just be running around mindlessly so that's the way that at least sales teams should focus on it and then obviously that comes a compliment with marketing which katana is probably going to jump on right now yeah yeah i mean i agree with morgan's points uh i like the the bob igor takeaways as well i think kind of with marketing it's pretty similar actually um you, you have to think about what are the constraints heading into 2024 that's going to be things of course like money which you got to figure out team team structure talent ability to execute and then like the channels, what's happening in each channel. Uh, for example, Google, a lot of changes, right? You need to be able to factor that in. Uh, the new generative AI experience is rolling out. So word on the street says that websites are going to lose 30% of their SEO traffic in 2024. Who knows if that's true or not, but you still got to be aware of these kind of bigger trends happening and be able to factor that in, in your scenario planning. Um, I think the other big thing is baselines. You know, you want to have some kind of grounding in reality. So if uh, you look back historically at like your COVID pandemic boost year, which was extraordinarily high, that's kind of an outlier year. 
now 2023 has somewhat normalized. So you need to have 2024 grounded in reality. I think uh, there can be some problems that arise when companies do this exercise because they make incorrect assumptions about maybe the wrong kinds of baselines. Maybe they don't look at baselines uh, close enough. Maybe there's no baselines for a new program or a new channel that they want to roll out. So you also have to pay attention to the sales side of things as well. What was our quota attainment from leads driven by these channels? What about our pipeline conversion rates? What about our sales uh, cycle length? All these things kind of have to be factored into your scenario planning. I think you have to have kind of a poor outcome. You have to have like a meets expectations outcome. And then you have to have like, this is an exceptional outcome. And you have to kind of, you know, play out what it looks like all three of those scenarios. And uh, when it comes to the budgeting, you know, um, there's top down or bottom up. With the top down, um, it's basically a marketing leader saying, yo, finance, tell me the number you want me to work with and I'll find a way to make it happen. That's honestly, that's my flavor. That's my style. I don't like going into these like long battle room sessions trying to, you know, fight over it. I'm cool with whatever they want to give me for the most part. I'll give my input, of course. But basically, I like a model that's real simple, like annually, you know, over 2023, 2022, Here's what we spent uh, across these Y channels. Here's what we deem to be an acceptable level of ROI versus failing ROI, that kind of thing. Um, of course, there's a bottom-up approach as well where you can kind of say, hey, we've done some market analysis and our competitors seem to be spending this much year over year on ads. Our competitors seem to be hiring at this pace and this rate compared to us, right? Um, and based on that, you can make some... Uh, you can make some inferences on what it might need to be from a bottom-up approach. But then, of course, the final point is there's big swings that you might want to take in 2024. There may be some big brand activation that you want to do. There may be some risky bets you want to take. You want to set aside a little bit for that. But in a nutshell, that's kind of my opening take on the things you got to think about uh, from annual planning when it comes to marketing. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I used to work at Google and our annual planning would start in April and at AWS, like honestly, the pre-planning activities started in, uh, sorry, at Google we started in August and then at um, AWS we started in April. I worked at a startup and we didn't start planning until like late November, right? And uh, <laughs> the plane wouldn't land until January. <laughs> right, you're like, oh, let's just wait until the end of the year, see how it's gonna do. And then we'll use those as our baselines. But, like. Uh, how about we project what the rest of Q4 is going to look like, start planning yeah. in September. Because, <laughs> you know, these, yeah. we're going to hire four people. It takes four months to hire them. We open the job rec in January. You don't get them closed until uh, till coming into April. They're not fully ramped until, you know, October. The whole year goes by. You have to start planning early. Dirty little secret on the marketing side. Then, Morgan, I'll be, be really curious to get your take on this from sales. But dirty little secret is... At the end of the day, as a marketing leader, what ends up happening is you just go, all right, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, all right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nah, nah. Like, that's cool. Like, I got you. Like, yeah. I think we can hit it. <laughs> I, th I think we can do it. Yeah. Nah. It seems like really like within within reach. Yeah. But you're slow key freaking <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm, I mean... At the end of the day, what I always kind of think about is like, look, like, 
this is where, you know, we're doing marketing, we're doing ads, we're doing content, right? Like we're selling software. Uh, if I, if I mess up on my estimations, it's not like, you know, something really bad is going to happen. It's not like I'm a doctor in the, you know, surgery room or something <laughs> like that. So uh, what's the worst that could happen? I get fired. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to execute this to the best <laughs> of my ability. I'm not going to stress out overly hardcore about, you know, high pressure and high goals. And, you know, cause, some, cause a lot of marketers, they go into like overdrive mode and like the sirens and alerts start going off in their brain and they, they melt down. They start panicking over, oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, I don't have enough resources. How are we going to hit this plan? I need to hire at least, you know, 10 more people if we're going to do this. You know, if if it seems that far, you know, out of reality, out of touch with reality, then yeah, there's probably an issue. But what you want to aim for is something that seems close enough that's like, all right, let's roll with this and see where we are maybe in the next quarter, right? And if things are like wildly off, then, you know, you you, you basically make an adjustment. That's that's. That's the dirty little secret from the marketing side. I don't know, Morgan, if you've got something like that. <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel like that's just on the road side. It's just like we have to get those goals. We got to go figure it out uh, from the sales perspective. That's what it always is. We're going to double down, even triple down and put in that effort or we're going to put more bodies on it. Right. We're just going to we're just going to hire more people. <laughs> and we're going to try to we're going to try to figure this yeah. out. Way. I've heard that um, before. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. Just go hire more people. We'll, we'll figure it out. I, but like to solve all that, it really comes down to uh, process on the hiring side, the top of the funnel side, and on the closing side. Like there's there's deeper things in that, but those are the three main process levers you're looking at. Because if you know how to interview very well, you know how to top of the funnel very well, and you know how to uh, close very well. I'll even add the other one, onboarding uh, really well. Your, your, your team is going to have a massive flow and you're going to know what levers you need to pull. I find when people are just like, we don't really know our process. We just need more people. That's where things get really bad. And that's where things become stressful for the entire team. So Katana, you're talking a little bit about scenario planning. I always like to put three different camps, three different scenarios, the conservative scenario, what happens if we starve the function, right? We're not going to hire all the headcount. We're going to slash budgets a little bit. We saw a lot of that the last three years, COVID, the reemergence, the big bounce. And then uh, obviously the, the, the end of the ZERP environment, the zero interest rate uh, policies. That's basically thrown all of SaaS into turmoil and no one's hiring as much as they used to. Um, the second scenario is, all right, status quo. Let's try to grow at the nominal rates that we think we can grow at. And then three is let's find a big swing. What are the big bets, the big rocks that we can go after? Is it a new market that we're going to unlock? Do we have a new product, new feature release? And all of that's going to entail all the different things that we're going to need to do from positioning to messaging to hiring and figuring out the right way to position. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about was, um, thank you for going into annual planning, by the way. Uh, next was like kind of the regular operating rhythms. So, you know, where does sales and marketing, where do they overlap, right? Where do we start talking about these North Star goals? How can both sales and marketing collaborate on a regular basis to feed each other in terms of one, giving feedback back to the marketing team, these definitions of MQL, these definitions of the persona, the, the, the ICP, they're working, they're not working. And then vice versa, marketing is working with sales and saying, here are the upcoming campaigns. Here's what we're expecting from the sales team. I'm curious, you know, where does a high functioning organization get those two rhythms working together? Yeah, I'll, I'll dive in. I, something that I saw from my experience as a trainer and also when I was managing a team as well, and there's a lot of different functions to this, but I think the most clear cut one is your top target account. So most companies <clears throat> have like a top 100, top 200, 
500, no, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you have that somewhere. And if you don't, then that's, that's more problematic. You should have that in your planning to figure that out. Um, but everyone has one. So when you're going about that, it's how can marketing provide air cover to sales as they go after these top accounts? So effectively, it's a lot of different ways you can do that. Uh, I think one of the best ways to do that is to work within one-to-one or in pods. Then most sales teams will work in pods to reach out to maybe 25 of the top 100 accounts and then they do it that way strategically. I also believe in the one-to-one model from an AESDR should just work together to figure out how to get in those accounts. I find that to be most beneficial. And once you figure that out, then you're working with marketing to figure out how do we make it easier for us to get into this account? So maybe it's inviting them to webinars or inviting them to events, or maybe there's a special campaign that we can run. I don't know. Every marketing team is different, but that's the best way I believe that sales and marketing can work together. Are there other levers? Like I said, sure. But that's where you, you're going to get your most ROI. You're going to have the best conversations about it. And then you can trickle down to other factors. But that focus list should be a sales and marketing collaboration. And if it's not, there's a huge miss there. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with all those points um, on the ABM, like account-based attack style sales and marketing collaboration, like the amount of engagement you're getting into these target accounts is probably going to be the key way to go. Usually these companies have tiered approaches, like these are our super high value strategic, you know, VIP accounts, and then so on and so forth, all the way down the list. So that collaboration across those like uh, coordinated, uh, basically like uh, attacks are going to be like a, a great way to go. I found that there's also some really good tactical things that just like companies sleep on or forget to do, or just like, they just don't really ever make it happen. And from my view, like it's better if marketing um, actually like initiates these things. So for example, it's a great thing to be doing when you can get sales to give you feedback on landing pages, especially landing pages that you're, you're spending a lot of money to get the traffic to. So generally in, in like, uh, B2B marketing, you have um, ads that are running on LinkedIn that may not be get a demo. It's like more filling the future funnel. So it's a lot more kind of top of funnel and stuff. Like it can be good to get sales involved with that, but where it really makes sense is your bottom of funnel conversion pages. So anything that's getting like PPC traffic to things that are like software, platform, system, tool, pricing, right? Like all those kinds of things. Like it's great to be getting sales to give you feedback on that. Um, another thing that I have found super valuable is uh, listening to sales calls and then um, actually like hitting up the rep after and, and and like kind of just like, like a lot of times I'll be like, yo, do you want to do like a quick debrief on this call? Because I have some questions about things that came up at certain points just curious to get your perspective on this or that or this or that. And how can we use this in marketing materials? Um, those are like some more tactical things, but like there, there's probably an endless list of things we could probably talk about on this. <laughs> but um, I think to kick it off, like Morgan's points on the ABM is great. And then some of these little tactical things are also like little hidden gems. One thing so, I want to quickly add, you mentioned it listening to the calls. I think the one thing as well, you can add, cause you talked about the systems, the tool pricing, et cetera. Like, Take the objections that you hear often on sales calls or ask the sales team and create assets off of that as well. And just be proactive and say, hey, like I've been listening to the calls. I've been hearing this objection. Here's a piece on it that you can use of how how, how a customer is talking about it. That's another huge asset that your sales team would like as well. 
So I keep hearing a couple of things. One, the takedown list or the hit list, as I call it. Um, I love that. You got to have the who's who in the zoo and who you can take down for the year. Two, the idea of team selling, right? Selling is not an, an individual sport in many companies. The SDR, the AE, that's a powerful combination. It's even more powerful when you can bring in marketing to the mix. I often hear that marketers, revenue operators, they don't really know what's going on in these sales calls. They take a backseat. Instead of taking a backseat, why not be a little bit more proactive? You can listen to gong calls or even better, write shotgun in a sales call. You don't have to speak, listen in and kind of learn from, from, uh, from the front line. So these tiered accounts and these BOFU strategies, I think are another powerful way to you know, really turn market marketing, not just into a, a, a top of funnel engine, but really get down into that bottom of funnel and accelerate you know, in-flight deals, right? Move them from stage two to stage three. Some things you can do, I think, in-person mailers that are catered to what you've learned about the prospect from the stage one, stage two, super powerful. I think other things you can take a look at are specific landing pages, baking the company's specific language, mixing it with your messaging and putting those two together. And I think that works really well for those six, seven figure deals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's uh, another big area, I think, for B2B marketing too. It's the leads that you drive that are from external sources. Uh, so for example, Gartner pay per lead program. They, they actually have a program where you can set bidding filters on the kinds of companies you want to um, sell to. And then uh, you basically just pay for the lead. That's, that's it. There's no science to it. It's just, here's how much we're willing to pay for this kind of company. Um, but the problem is that uh, it may or may not be worth it for your company to run those programs based on how expensive is it to get those leads in the door how interested are they? So like I've just done this with a client actually where we ran like a three month pilot and we're finally getting to like, was it worth it? Yes or no. Should we continue doing this? Yes or no. And the role of sales in this is absolutely key. Like you cannot just figure this out from a marketing standpoint. You have to be getting feedback from every single seller. We actually did a sales survey um, to get the perspective of every single sales sales rep that's interacting with these leads and we got a wide range of answers, everything from, yeah, the ones that come in that are qualified are super qualified, but 90% are junk, right? Like we look for those kinds of themes and then we decide like, all right, well, is it continue? should we continue fishing for whales in this pond or is it better to have sales utilization somewhere else? And then that's kind of a you know discussion we have in an open format and we try and figure it out. But that's just like one real world use case of like how to work with sales in a great way. So next topic I want to jump, jump into is the, the handoff process, right? We talked about a little bit around taking down the takedown list, team selling. Uh, there's always this handoff, right? So I think a lot of folks have reconstructed their marketing and sales funnel to lead to MQL, marketing qualified lead, to sales accepted lead, to sales qualified lead. There's a lot of acronyms in there, right? SALSQL is like a little a bit of alphabet soup, but I find that it's a useful construct to be able to give feedback to the person in front saying, yeah, this lead is ready for the next person in the belt in the conveyor belt. And it's also good feedback back to the previous person saying, yep, that's junk. Don't send, don't send me that again. But I think there's something lost in that because when you're the prospect, it could feel like you're being handed off from one department to the next, to the next. And there's this, there's this continu continuity loss. I'm curious to hear, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked from your experiences around that handoff process. And and when, when we're speaking handoff, you know, you mentioned a little bit. Is that 
um, just overall sales and marketing within the sales teams, within the marketing teams, because I think it could go in a lot of different ways, like handoffs within the department of marketing, the hands off in department of sales to others. Like, where would we go with that one? Yeah, you know, it's funny as a prospect, I don't really care, right? It's like, oh, I'm now in the marketing funnel. I've exited the marketing funnel. Now I'm in the sales right. funnel. The prospect has no idea. But the, no. the you know, the team internally, you know, ah, oh, you know what? It's I've got to follow process. RevOps has set this process. I've got to move from here to there. But I just want to make sure that the prospect doesn't get lost in the sauce when they're going to the whole funnel. So it doesn't really matter if it's marketing to sales or sales within sales. I'm just curious around how do you construct the well-designed handoff process so that the pros the prospect is still with you throughout the entire flow. Yeah. So let, let, we'll treat it as like a potential customer because I think there's even things that happen in post-sales and that marketing can do. Uh, and we can, we can speak on that, but I'm going to speak to something that I'm, I know and, and can really go granular with. So when I think of like the potential client, right, you think of it from the top of the funnel perspective in marketing and then the middle of the funnel essentially to, to close with marketing. So if you think from the top of the funnel, uh, I, this is the way that we ran my team. This is how I suggest people to run it when I train them or coach or whatever the team I'm working with. When, when you're going through like a campaign, uh, typically your campaign might be, let's say, eight touches in like 20 days. So 20 professional, 20 professional days, business days, that's essentially a month, right? About a month and a half. So when you're reaching out, let's say they don't respond. This account does not respond to any of your outreach. So most of the time that just dies and then like another rep will go in and they'll try to figure it out, et cetera. You don't want to inherently do that. The, the best way that you want to engage or go about this, let's say motion, this notion of doing the marketing and also the sales handoffs is number one, when that is over, let's say the rep is done reaching out, the SDR, the account executive, you give it to the marketing team to add it to a drip campaign. Let's say you run that for like the next two months, essentially. And then once it's like the account maybe has been warmed up or they at least they know you're still there, then you can give it back to another person on the team that's different to then reach out with, with unique messaging that maybe was different than the other person. So that's an example of like a handoff that I've seen to be successful. In terms of the <clears throat> engaging with the potential client in the middle of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. The way you want to think about this is I, the, whoever handed off the account to the account executive or the account executive self source themselves. Now we have to figure out what touch points are we going to do throughout the buyer journey to keep this person engaged. One of the biggest obstacles that I see is that there's no communication between the sales team and the marketing team while they're selling. So they're getting like marketing emails while they're selling them. It creates an annoyance. So working with that team to figure out at what stage are you sitting information? Okay. They get to, I don't know, evaluation stage. They should be getting X. Okay. They get to a proposal. They should be getting X at this point, or we stop, we turn off the marketing. These are the ways that you can think about your handoffs. They're in terms of the buyer journey. And then you align those accordingly. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was a brilliant kind of breakdown. Uh, I mean, Morgan, you're definitely the, the expert in this subject. And I'll tell you guys every time, in my career history that I've worked internally uh, with like a sales leader, I've always kind of let them lead this part of the process just because it's their expertise and they're in it day in and day out. I just give my two cents, but I really just roll whatever they feel is best. However, um, I have taken part in a very important part of the process. To me, on the marketing side, this is maybe one of the most important, if not the most important, 
it's actually reducing the no-shows. Like one of the biggest problems in marketing is like, hey, we have all these leads that go into this bucket of like gone dark or no-show or um, whatever, right? Uh, and the problem with that is we need to understand, well, why is it that it was no-show or gone dark? Is it because it was junk? And so that means our marketing programs are either getting uh, spammed, like that's another problem is, is fraud. So uh, this, this can really throw a huge wrench in the plan for marketing if you're getting a lot of fraud from bots or believe it or not, competitor sabotaging. I've been experiencing that uh, more lately than I've ever have before. And especially in my day-to-day client campaigns, I've seen it at least twice now uh, in the last like, couple months. But we want to find out, is it junk or a competitor sabotage and fraud? Or is it something wrong in the process where like they're just like not showing up? Um, and I've implemented some things along my time to improve that no-show rate quite a lot. The first thing is that um, you actually got to sell the shit out of the meeting. Like if you're an SDR, you got to make them feel like, oh man, like if I miss this, I'm losing out. And I feel like a lot of times like those SDRs just kind of, you know, they're going through the motions, not because they're, you know, slipping mentally or something like that. It's just because the monotony of it, they're doing so many of these over and over and over again. It gets so kind of like robotic that they forget to uh, put that personal kind of touch into it and really sell the shit out of the meeting. Uh, And for that reason, it's just like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. All right. So great. Blah, blah. I'll be there. Yeah. Cool. And then they don't show up. The next thing is, um, you actually have to book that next meeting as closely as possible to the initial discovery as possible. Like if you have too much of a time lapse, the chances of them not showing up are going to be greatly increased. So the the idea is like you want to be like, hey, do you have time tomorrow or do you have time, you know, in a couple of days later this week? It can't be weeks uh, away. Uh, and sometimes it's company staffing issues that cause that to happen. It's not necessarily the fault of the SDR. Sometimes uh, the product is very technical, so it actually has to go through this really annoying flow of like SDR to AE to sales engineer or solutions engineer. And so, you know, before before that point comes where they actually talk to a solutions engineer to get the real demo, so to speak, uh, it's like so much time has elapsed that momentum is, is gone. Uh, excitement about, you know, moving forward in the process seems to be like withering away. So I've worked with sales teams to really improve those kinds of issues. But generally, I agree with like all the things Morgan said to kind of kick it off. But I could go on about this, but I guess I'll stop there. That's my take. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, a few things. Um, so as a revenue operator, sometimes when we're, we don't have an SDR leader, they'll ask me to you know, pitch in. Like, hey, can you be the SDR manager, you know, in the interim while, while we're looking for someone? I'm like, all right, sure. And what I find is certain SDRs will actually view the role as I'm a meeting scheduler. I'm, I'm here to book meetings. It's like, you're not here to book meetings. You're actually part of the sales team. You're here to sell our solution as part of their problem. You're just helping unlock that first door to get them to meet one of our account executives. You're not here to book a meeting. That's not your role. If you, if you were to book a meeting, I would just buy, buy some software or go get some sort of gatekeeper to handle, handle all of that. The next one is, I think it's really powerful to think through these, these meetings are like the, the carton of milk at the store. There's only two days left on the, on the label. You better not push that thing out a week from now. Cause that meeting that, that person is not going to show up. 
So you, you, you want to do is try to schedule it within one or two business days and then have a meeting confirmation process that allows you to say, let me text, let me message you and remind you like, hey, I'm really looking forward for you to connecting with, uh, with you know, my partner here to really unlock what you're going through and then cite what you had uh, in your qualification call. That helps remind the prospect, right, I've been living with this problem for like six, nine months. Status quo is really not the solution. Meeting your person, your teammate, it's going to help me unlock those doors that I've been dying to unlock for quite a while. Exactly. So a couple of things. Um, I'm thinking through 2024 and kind of your outlook. It's kind of the last segment of the show. Really thinking through, is 2024 going to look a lot like 2023, 2022? Are we going to have a kind of a, a bloody year for B2B sales? If so, what kind of advice would you give kind of B2B marketers and B2B sales folks? Another bloody year. Look, I, <laughs> I mean... It's been, I mean, it's been tough since 2020, man. Like, I feel like it's just been like, yo, like, where are we at? I mean, look, I, I, I do, I do, I mean, tough times don't last forever, right? So at some point, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. My, my, just how I see things, like, I just don't think it'll be, ba- I don't think it'll go back to what it was, where it was like, everyone was just throwing around money and it was just like, here it is. I think we're now in a function where, from a sales perspective, you need to be leveling up your skills and you need to be getting better at your craft because now it's not just here's the product buy this thing. The buyer become has become more aware and they become more, let's say just they have more information at hand. And also as well, there are more products and things coming to market. So the way I would look at this is like one, how do we make sure that our team is skilling up at the highest degree on discovery? How do we continue to get better at that? I think that's a no-brainer for most people, but I think that's important. Two, I would say you need to get your team more active in face-to-face, in-person conversations as much as you can. Because we live in a hybrid world and more people want to not go to Tuesday places, meeting people in person actually has become more critical so you can move things along the line. And what I would say is finding ways to consolidate your tech stack to make it lean and understandable for your team and not having a million tools that aren't really helping you across the board. And then I'll also start tapping into how can we get our team or somebody on our team to start creating some type of content to create more awareness for our brand, which makes it easier for our sellers to actually sell what we're doing because we can't just rely on the old things that we've done. So as we go into the new year, that's what I'd be focused on. I do. I don't think it'll be as crazy in the past years, but I'm not saying that this is going to be a cakewalk coming into next year either. That's that's my take with the information that I currently have. Uh, yeah, agree uh, with all those points. I think uh, leveling up and and scaling up your game is absolutely essential, not just for sales, but even so more so for marketing. Uh, we have all these ways of doing like commodity tactics and deployments. So like. You know, if you have the same chat bot configuration on your site for the last 12 months and you haven't even tweaked it or thought about tweaking it because you're so busy with too many projects and you're so under-resourced or whatever, well, it's time to change that and make it work. Um, Landing pages. If you keep running the same stuff over and over again, you haven't tried any experiments, you haven't really tested anything, you've been running the same playbooks, same scripts over the last 12 months, time to reevaluate that, shake things up. Uh, Talent. Let's talk about talent, right? Like the battlefield is getting more competitive. It's more saturated. And let's be real, uh, when budgets get tight, those nice to have tools that, you know, there was extra budget laying around previously. So those nice to haves 
they're getting cut. Uh, bundle solutions are now doing what those single point solutions have done. So a company is a, is much more likely to consider a bundle package rather than a you know one off single single player. Um, so getting back to talent, uh, you're better off in my view in marketing paying thirty percent over market rate for a top set of A players. You want leaner teams, faster output, better skills who can execute with high precision. You want that over a bloated team with too many talkers, too many philosophers, too many B and C players, because there's just no, there's no time for that anymore in 2024 where everything's a lot harder than it used to be. So um, the game has definitely changed, uh, I, you know, from, from a channel perspective in marketing, things are also changing quite a lot. Uh, our advertising capabilities are becoming worse because of ad blockers and, you know, taking away of uh, third-party data and stuff like that. So um, you really just need to step up tremendously if you want to have a real shot at, at making it successful in 2024. I think those days of hiding in the shadows and, you know, having a slow kind of meeting, big meeting culture, unless you're like a top category leading giant brand that's already, you know, in the incumbent position, you can't really afford to, 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 to you know, be slacking off or just be mediocre. There's, I think that's the key. There's no more room for, for mediocrity. So, yeah, I think Morgan hit it. Uh, those are my, my points as well. And uh, that's all I got. I'm, I'm laughing at too many philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> just, just just on the call just not going anywhere i agree yeah yeah we yeah there's we, we just can't do that yeah. <laughs> all right y'all i appreciate both having you both on um i know the two of you are uh, involved with uh, other cognizant podcasts the loop podcast and the redefining outbound podcast i want to shout and say thank you for coming on to the RevOps review for the listeners who want to connect with you, learn more about you, where can they learn? Uh, where can they connect with both both of you? Yeah, so LinkedIn, Mortgage Ingram, or you can go check out uh, the YouTube as well, Mortgage Ingram, and you can check out AMP on our company page. That's it. Yeah, um, you can go to my LinkedIn. So it's like uh, LinkedIn slash in slash official G. So just <laughs> add official. Wait, how'd you G. get official G? Custom oh. URL. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm surprised it was available. I'm the only uh, official G. Come yeah. on, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, official G at the end of the LinkedIn uh, URL, and you'll find me. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, guys.